Hello and welcome to the 47th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we'll discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Satellina by Moonkid. Peter, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Chris. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually only a game developer starting this week. Um, mostly I've, I've been an editor and writer um, and a game player. Um, okay. You know, I've, I've sort of dabbled in programming uh, for my whole life, but this is the first time I've, um, I've put out an actual finished product. And, and, and fantastic it is, too. I'm not saying Thank that you. because you're on the show. Uh, or going, yes, and it's complete guff. Please, why did you make this? <laughs> you should have go back to your original job. This is terrible. Um, well, I haven't no. gone anywhere yet. <laughs> uh, but no, that would have been a very short show and it would have been like a half and you would have slammed the microphone down. And that would have been a very, the shortest episode of the Sausage Factory ever. Um, I'm glad you like it, Chris. No, it is, it is good. Um, so you've already answered the second question, which is kind of annoying what happens. A lot of developers, they have this ability to project into the future. Uh, <laughs> either that or they're reading my screen right now. This is kind of annoying. But uh, how did you make your start? Because clearly, you're, I mean, we've had absolute veterans and been in it and I've been making games for 30, 40 years. And we've also had, like yourself, you know, people who've, been am I right to say you said you're a writer was it a writing about games or is this a writer what, what was um, it I, I've, I've done some writing about games um some writing about music uh some writing about film um you know I really I, I can't seem to focus on anything or, or just um my curiosity seems to be pretty broad things but distract you, humans quite a lot yes this is true this <laughs> is true um, so you've written about things that distract human beings Yes, that, that, that is my focus. <laughs> it's, it's what I relate to most. Right. Um, so but yeah, you know, my, my parents got a, a computer when I was two uh, oh. in 1984, and uh, I was just completely fascinated by it immediately. Um, so I, I've always sort of dabbled a little bit in programming. And uh, a, f- a few years ago, my friend Charlie Hoey and I um, made a sort of 8-bit retro platformer based on The Great Gatsby. Yes, um, yes, I'll, I'll about that. Tell us, tell us about. Yeah, I hope I'm not preempting your questions again. But no, that, no, that, no. Um, this, this is about Satellina, not uh, your, your your the second half will be about that. But no, carry on. Well, you know, it was well received, and that sort mm. of planted a seed in my mind of, oh, you know, this has always interested me. Maybe it's something I could do more of. So it was a uh, an eight bit style game. So it wasn't truly eight bit because then there'd be a flickering mess, right? <laughs> that is true. Although we did try to, uh, we did try to sort of emulate the artifacts of of the eight bit style as closely as we could, without making it. Oh God, why did we play these games? That's right, we stopped. Doing yes. That for reason. Yeah, <laughs> well, those are still honestly, those are still some of my favorite games. Um, yeah. Although yeah. there certainly was a lot of a lot of garbage, but uh, oh, there was there was. Um, all depends which era and what machine you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so in the NES was, was king in the US we were speaking about it before the show recorded whereas over in the UK it was all 8-bit computers so you had the Spectrum, right. C64 the Amstrad, the BBC all these weird and wonderful computers none of which were compatible with each other of course Right. Uh, <laughs> each with its own personality it was yes it was definitely uh, Thatcherite like you know everyone everyone for themselves and uh, sod the other guy and, yes uh, it, it, some people benefited, some some not so much. But uh, yes. yeah, interesting times. What was the computer you had as a child? Do you know? Was it a PC? Yes, I do. We had a IBM PC Junior, which I discovered uh, as an adult was a notorious flop. But uh, boy, I really loved it. It was yeah. I was I was expecting to say an Apple II or something like that. But uh, yeah, they were very popular. Uh, all the schools had them. Yeah, but, uh, but we had the PC Junior. Great. So flipping back again, you you. You started work. I mean, what input did you have in that game? Then did you create any of the code, or is it design, or what? what was, what uh, Charlie your... did all of the programming for that. Uh, it was in Flash, and we sort of co-designed co-designed the game, and I did the graphics and the music. Okay, so that's a, that's a tough thing, isn't it? A lot of the people I found a lot of developers. Uh, they say, "Oh, I did everything." And then there's a pause and say, "Except the music." 
yeah. And well, I, you know, I've, I've played guitar for a while. Um, I'm in yeah. a band, so uh, heard, that, that part of it is actually just sort of fun for me. Yeah, it's it's a part of the puzzle. Uh, that's the thing about video games is when you hear about you know, musicians banging on about, oh, we're spending months in the studio. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and you think, I remember mean, I think a video game developer's like, okay, I've got to do the music. Here we go. Done. Right. <laughs> done the music now. Let's, let's do the graphics. And they've got just this one piece, of, a very, very important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think it is an important piece. And um, so, but it is a part, not all and everything. You know, not right. just the whole thing they're making. And that's what these musicians, recording artists, are doing. Like, really? <laughs> okay, right. you're just—I mean, great. You're just doing that. Whereas these other people are doing all this other stuff. <laughs> you know, you do- well, it's a, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's an interesting thing in games that you really have to combine so many, um, so many disciplines you to do- make one. I mean, and for Saturnalia's um, uh, point, there's no story there. So yeah. you, you managed to skip that bit. Uh, but other, other than that, there's definitely interaction, visual engagement, design, interface design, all of this. Yes. <laughs> On top of yeah. that, you've got to have a kick-ass tune running right through it. Or sort of say, tunes. But yeah, well, yeah. The, the, there's, I mean, I, I can speak to the music of Saturnalia a bit, but... Uh, the game, as you say, is is pretty abstract and has no story. Um, but I always liked um, Marble Madness. I don't know if you guys had that. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Um, but you know, the the that game was very abstract. Um, there's no story, but the music sort of gave each area its own mood um, or sort of ambiance. And some, you know, so some tracks were like a little scary. Uh, and uh, I thought it would be cool to have that in my game too. So you've used Unity. Could you tell us a bit about how you've felt, dealt with that? I mean, have you done the programming? Is it all a one-person thing, or you've had help with the with the creation of the coding and stuff? I don't know. Uh, it, it's been a one-person thing. Um, I, I pretty much did it. Um, but that said, you know, I've been struck so much by the contrast between programming when I was a kid um, and programming in Unity now because, um, you know, I ran into... I think thousands of problems as I was doing this and uh, help was only a Google search away. You know, there's a very robust community um, of unity developers and they're really helpful, um, really nice. And, and people will often give you a very thorough answer. Um, and I just remember, you know, when I was a kid trying to do something in turbo Pascal um, or in basic, it's like, if you want to get the, the video, uh, display into a specific mode, or if you want to um, read the keyboard interrupt so that you can get actual clean input, um, it's basically black magic. You know, you have to like uh, write a line of assembly, poking some hex address somewhere <laughs> in the computer, and you know, like I, I'm a, I was a nine year old. Yeah, um, you you couldn't comprehend. what ultimately, maybe maybe you understand now. Forgive me for saying it sounds patronizing, but. Ultimately, all computers are as a series of switches. Now, this yeah. sounds absolutely horrific, but it's true. There's, no, there's, absolutely. <laughs> there's millions the, and millions know, of them. Before, but... there was, uh, before there was an internet, all of that knowledge was so arcane. Um, it was hidden in books. And not really accessible to people. Written, yeah. It was hidden in books written by people who, for, uh, written by people for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah exactly. It's written for the person who wrote them. Like, right. what possible use is this if it's written for the... I mean, honestly, you had to be a polymath to really understand what on earth was being spoken about. But Absolutely. honestly, all it was, what what we were doing, what the, the peeking and poking, peeking was just seeing what the memory address was saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the poking was like, well, let's change it then. <laughs> and it was just, <laughs> what's a memory address? It's just actually, ultimately, it comes down to it, a switch. And you're just saying that... If that's happening and this is happening, or when that happening, and possibly that thing as well, yeah. then turn this to one, please. <laughs> okay. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, it was much simpler, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But the you know the contrast of uh, the availability of information now is really pretty staggering. I think. And of course, Unity is. Am I right in thinking? There's a series of libraries, or am I just being ignorant here? I don't know enough. It's a whole engine, actually. Um, oh, okay. You know, comparable to to the Unreal Engine, I think, or um, yeah. or some of the other other game development engines. Um, 
So, but you know, it's all um, you can script in uh, in JavaScript or in C sharp. Um, so I, I mostly the game is in C sharp, and then the Unity engine lets you do sort of uh, laying out levels graphically and things like that. It's very helpful. So you still have to use the same logic of yes. programming for C sharp, uh, mm-hmm. but the actual flow of where things go and the logic of that isn't as easy to read as to, to flow unless you're in, in, embedded into that way of thinking. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a. C sharp is a language in of itself. Yeah, one has to translate that. Um, yeah, and there's an extraordinary way of actually how it things bounce around and variables bounce around the code. I find it fascinating. But uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's I'm a, I'm still a layman when it comes to it. I understand the concepts, but actually diving in and doing it myself, yeah, yeah I'm really done that yeah i'm not sure what's stopping me but uh, well yeah, it sounds like you're you're you've got a pretty good grasp on things i mean yeah. speaking from my not very elevated point of view <laughs> <laughs> so not yeah. the one who should be conferring that kind of blessing but no no people have said other developers have said that to me uh like, why have you made a game i don't know uh probably too busy playing tabletop stuff <laughs> um so okay well you made you start with with, with uh Gatsby, great Gatsby, and then then you moved on to Satellina. Now we're talking about which is a, a mobile mobile platform game uh, on mobile platforms. Not a platform game. Well, it could be a pla- no, it's not. Um, <laughs> so, um, what are your? This is a big question, and most developers sort of stumble. And go, I'm sorry, Chris, what on earth do you mean by this? It's too <laughs> it's too a vast a, a thing. But try I'll try to focus your your attention. What is, what is do you think influences you most when you're under creative endeavors? What is the what, what's something that you've found creative endeavors in general or uh, um, or games specific, specifically games? I'm afraid, uh, or it could be anything because a lot of your creativities probably feed into each other anyway. But what's sure. the thing that you find yourself orbiting a lot, whether you like it or not? Well, as far as games, I think I like games that are about gameplay, um, which sounds sounds silly, I know, but I. I I think so much of um, of game design, particularly today, now that the technology allows for it, um, sort of goes to emulate other media, um, goes to emulate movies or um, novels, or you know. And I don't think that games um, do that as well as I don't think that games can do what movies do as well as movies do. Um, I think what's great about games, you know, is that you could almost compare them more to an art installation where anything can happen. I like to think of it as sort of a a space that you can enter um, and and just sort of, you know, interact with in that way. And and the story is whatever you bring to it, um, as opposed to not to say that, you know, there aren't games with great stories, um, but I, I really like sort of the immediacy of gameplay. I must confess that I've been um, doing a little bit of a retro. Over the Christmas, I've, I've went through all my stuff. I've got a lot of retro computers and stuff, all functioning, I'm happy to say. Cool. And uh, I have a Notorious ST and an Amiga and a Spectrum nice. and uh, C64 and all sorts. And I was just messing around, and I was playing some of the games, and some of them were bad. Uh, yeah. And you just got okay, I'm not going to touch that anymore. But some of them were just pure fun. You know, they, they just got over the fact that, you know what, this is going to look guff. There's nothing yeah. to do about that. But man, isn't this fun? <laughs> yeah. And and the standards were very different, you know. Yeah. And, and you yeah. just forgave yeah. it a lot. You know, you're just like, well, yes, there's big things like, well, what's the frames per second for that? I don't know. More like frames per minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. that's more like it. <laughs> uh, and uh, like I said, I was, I was playing on these eight-bit machines, so there was the flicker, there was the. But you just saw through it, and you got to the right. core. Uh, right. There was a game I was playing called Zynapse, which is over thirty years old. But yeah. the, some of the stuff in it was something we now see in modern-day, you know, XBLA or PSN games. You're like, sure. heavens! But it's thirty years old. It's you know, it's just, <laughs> but it's, it's still. Some of them still stand up to scrutiny. Absolutely, and, and uh, I think something that's cool right now is we're seeing because of digital distribution and uh, and mobile platforms. You know, we're, we're sort of seeing a resurgence of um, these more lightweight games that can be developed by a small team of people or or even one person like me. Um, 
the same way that you know Pitfall was in 1980. Yeah, um, it was just David Crane in a dark room for six months, which is amazing um, when you play it now. Although it's kind of like, what is the point of this? Like, it's like, <laughs> what am I? Why am I running for? Why is this? Oh, why is this so hard? And, yeah, well, uh, yeah, as was the style at the time. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I, I think there was a period where you could really only make games with like a team of a thousand people and uh, and million dollar budgets. And that's not to say that those games don't have anything to offer. I think they definitely do. Um, but it's cool to have to be in a period where there's sort of more room for auteurship or um, just sort of more, uh, you know, creators who can take more risks. Because when you have a million-dollar budget, you have millions of dollars of responsibility, um, and that understandably makes you sort of more risk-averse. And a, disco- and a design program or schedule, as you call it in the US, we call those programs, I know, confusing. But they yeah. have that milestones. They have those milestones, and that producer will hang on to those milestones like they're, it's their own child. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I suspect, I, I don't have any experience with this, but I suspect it's a really tough business to be in. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, because it's, it seems like, you know, you're just always fighting losing battles. Yeah. And uh, there's very little, um, you know, oh, this, this, this one's, you know, this one's safe. It's fine. I mean, let's take yeah. an example uh, Elder Scrolls Online. How could yeah. that possibly go wrong? It's Elder yeah. Scrolls. Everyone loves Skyrim. Right. Let's make it an MMO. Oh, dear. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it's yeah. so it's all too easy to understand how that happens. Oh yeah, uh, everyone saw it. I really else? feel for the people who are like, you know, they're they're you know modelers who's who are like sculpting rocks for a year. Oh yeah, just on, uh, and then people just running by them. Yeah, you know, yeah, a little so. twig that people now run by, and, and it's just. And I was there. I remember doing a preview event back in 2012. I think it was at Gamescom in Germany. And uh, yeah. sitting there, with, and I was with my head in my hands. I, why did my editor send him into this? Why did he send me to this? But he did. <laughs> and I was like, why? Why? What did I do? Have I done something wrong? You know. And, so, and I walked out. I'm going. This shouldn't be. And I wrote my preview, <laughs> going, "This shouldn't be." Ouch. And lo and behold, there it should have been. You know. Just yeah, yeah. Make another. You know, not another Skyrim. Just another. Do do. You know, whatever. Um, Fallout. Four, do that, right. do that, yeah. Yeah. please. So anyway, um, so yes, I think you're 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 right in that you know, your your obviously influence are is games the core of it the very what makes them so compelling to play and so much yeah. fun. Let's just yeah. focus on that. And some of my favourite tabletop games are the games like that. Just go, just forget all the flannel. Let's just right. interact. <laughs> You know, right, oh, well but no, you got to put the farmer there. Like, shut up! I just <laughs> no, you can't do that because you lost. <sighs> so sometimes, although I don't mind those complex games too, but also like the pure stuff. It's like I yeah, like yeah. I like the AAA, whatever. I don't hate that phrase, but uh, you know the mainstream titles. I love those too. I play a lot sure. of Forza recently. That's fine. It's great. But, but I also love you know t- games like yours, like Satellina, which are yeah, you know, and I, I'm not against complexity or uh, or bells and whistles um i, I just uh, think that sometimes um this emphasis on story and production values is sort of a distraction from what i think is maybe not not even necessarily what's best about games but what's gamiest about games yeah you know what, what of- really makes them makes them different Sorry, yeah. go on. Speaking of which, it's kind of a segue, although I just mentioned it's a segue, so it's probably not a segue anymore. Um, I, should, <laughs> I always do that. I always identify. Chris, don't do we'll that. It <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it'll, it'll write itself, but I've done it anyway. Who do you think does that the best? Who, as a developer, do you admire the most? Who's the people you... I mean, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be a company. Because I know it's hard to single out someone because you think you'll forget someone or insult someone. But that's okay. Don't sure. Worry. Who's the, well, someone, is, who's the people who go, they should keep on doing what they're doing? Yeah, you know, I can't... Um, it's sort of hard for me to take a broad overview of the field right now because I, I honestly don't play that much new stuff, um, which is a little embarrassing, and it's not something that I, oh, I wave as a flag. Um, I, I would say... I, I've I given up the shame thing. You're like, oh, pile of shame. No! 
just a part of awesome <laughs> yeah. game shut up well the, the, the point is it's not just that i'm like oh i refuse to play anything no, new no. Uh, you know i like stuff that's new i i think that um Honestly, I think Nintendo still takes more risks than most people and are still more focused on sort of the game side of games yeah. um, in a way that appeals to me. But, you know, the games that I that I consistently go back to actually are those 8-bit games um, where there's, there's sort of a purity um, to them. I also, they're harder, and that really appeals to me. Okay. Um, yeah, at my older age, I'm finding my reflexes dying, even though... Mine too. <laughs> really well with Satellina. We'll talk, well, good. We will. We'll talk about that later because there's some questions I've got. Like, how did you design? Anyway, we'll talk about that later. So, okay. so it's Nintendo. Do you put the you you doth your cap to? There's a phrase. Yeah. If I had to compare <laughs> Satellina to one game, yeah, um, it would be a game that looks absolutely nothing like Satellina. Um, but that would be the original Ninja Gaiden uh, for the NES, where. Each new level, each level that you get to, you're like, this is completely impossible. How could anybody ever do this? Um, and you beat your head against the wall for a while. And then when you finally clear it, it's so gratifying, you know. Um, and then you get to the next level and you're like, how could anybody ever do this? <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, the curve is is very well considered. Um, and that's, I don't know if that's what I got, but that's certainly what I was going for. Now, Ninja Gaiden took me... I think five years to beat from when I got it. So, wow. um, uh, you know, I don't think Satellina is anywhere near that hard, but, uh, but no. that was certainly one of the, one of the things I was thinking of. There's, they wore it like a badge of pride, didn't they? Like this will, <laughs> this will kick you in the nether regions, uh, over and over again. But for some reason you'll keep coming back. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what well. that philosophy came from. I think it comes from the coin ops because the coin ops mm-hmm. required you to pump more coins into the slot. Yeah, but you're sitting there at home in your jammies, right? With no and probably, coins and no slot. So why are you why are you like this? You know, if you paid fifty dollars for a uh, for a NES cartridge in yeah. 1989, I think they wanted to give you. Uh, give you a while of gameplay and since there wasn't a lot of storage capacity i think um one way to do that was to make it really hard that i think is probably the the practical reason behind it well, that's your excuse but my excuse <laughs> is i had a spectrum game that cost me two pounds right. back then was about five dollars forgive me for saying it something like four dollars okay you had a four dollar game <laughs> 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 this is brand new four dollar game by the way on right. a cassette right. took five minutes to load Right, it, was, it wasn't hours. It was five minutes, and you had a great loading screen. That was, uh, was and, actually yeah. going to work, and it, it did work. No, nine times out of ten, it worked. It's a fallacy, uh, but anyway, so it worked. And it, but you sat there going, "Why is it? Come on, it was only two quid. Come on!" <laughs> and so you know that that argument doesn't really wash with us. Like, no, no it's only two quid. Uh, yeah, maybe the I, maybe the industry was just a bunch of sadists. Yes, well. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 brought about the creation of games like Elite, uh, yeah, yeah, which wasn't at all like that. Just, yeah, wouldn't have to be like that. Although it's quite price. difficult to become elite in that game, isn't it? it I mean, is, you... It's basically well, it's not actually. I actually did an experiment recently because I actually played it within the last sort of three or four months. The original, yeah. not the, yeah. I'm playing the new one as well. It's fantastic. It was my yes, game of the that. year last year. Just, I heard it's great. It's fun. The sense of speed you get from that game is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you do feel like you're hurtling through space at ridiculous speeds. It's fantastic. Anyway, yeah. um, the thing about Elite is just it is, unfortunately, you find yourself just finding the code. Uh, yeah. So you actually, it's a bit like The Matrix where you just see the code and you realize yeah. that I've just got to trade that, that, and that for a bit, go between two systems for a bit about yeah, an hour or yeah. so get enough money to get be heavily armed enough and then you go flying off to nether regions exploring the galaxy while being a bounty hunter mm-hmm. <laughs> and you get loads of money doing that blowing up pirates and stuff and yeah and it's just it's a terrific fun game but uh you end up just understanding and balancing the numbers and it just uh it gets a bit it's it just simply is the, the way you get higher up the ranks is the number of kills you have that's it. Yeah, if the systems are a little too transparent, then maybe yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hold up as well it, over it becomes, time. It becomes a bit. Whereas games like Lords of Midnight are less transparent. Yeah, um, but yeah. that's a game for a discussion for another time. So yeah, yeah, good good choices on that. Um, so my last question about you, and then we go on about Satellina in detail. Sure. 
It's my favourite question because it gives me an idea about what we're working on next. I'm assuming you've got some other things on the pipeline. Most developers do. Uh, but it normally doesn't give me a clue, actually, because nine times out of ten they're playing has nothing to do with what they're making. Because the question is indeed, what are you playing right now? And it can be tabletop stuff as well, by the way. Yeah, well, actually, my friend and I are just playing through Earthbound uh, for the first time for the SNES. Yes, that's on, yeah, it's on Wii U, Nintendo. isn't it? And I'm yes, sure you can is. get it now. You can get it on Wii U now, yes. Yes, um, and I had, you know... I had never played it, and when it when I was a teenager in the '90s when it came out, I thought it looked so stupid. Because, <laughs> you know, it didn't have swords yeah. um, or or uh, CG graphics or you know any of the stuff that I was into when I was a dumb 14 year old. Um, and in retrospect, it's uh, an amazing game. You know, the, I mean, the gameplay is pretty simple and pretty sort of Dragon Warrior esque. For, for those who don't know, just... sure, it's sort of um, it's like a a traditional JRPG role playing game, but set in a in a modern world. Um, so you're just a you know a kid from the suburbs, and uh, you have a baseball bat instead of a sword, um, and you're just kind of wandering around. This sort of like it, it's kind of got a, like a quirky Americana feel, um, as seen through the eyes of the Japanese novelist who created it. Right. Um, but the script. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the script is great in Japanese, and and uh, the guy who translated it into English just did an amazing job. It's, um, you know, it's funny, really funny, um, surprisingly funny. Twenty years later, um, it's actually kind of poignant in a lot of places. It's it's sort of creepy um, in a lot of places, and I realize I'm kind of a Japanese uh, game, Japanese RPG that's kind of creepy. Surely not. Yeah, yeah, it has sort of a, sort of an eerie uh, David Lynch feeling to some of it where you know you're in these sort of yeah yeah you're in these sort of normal you're in kind of american towns but there's a real sort of unsettling feeling of something's not quite right here um yeah i've been playing a few games like that recently actually our last guest i lost uh, we had the uh lumino city um yes i saw that and uh their game is like beautiful game but all the characters in it are broken all the NPCs you encounter are a bit odd as if they're yeah. not quite right. And I pointed this out to Catherine, the, the, the guest, and she said, oh, yeah. <laughs> she didn't know. She, because she was so close to the, the, sure. the, the what she was making, I, oh, I never really thought about it. Right, right. Like, yeah. Right. You kind of operate on instinct. The, and then yeah, somebody else like, has to yeah. Someone has to poke on the shoulder and go, you know, no, this is a bit weird. They're acting a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I do find that when you, the deeper you get into Japanese RPGs, the more... Uh, yeah, something really odd. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the, like, one of my favorite Zelda games is is Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, and I, I learned recently that that was actually directly inspired by Twin Peaks, which really explains a lot. Um, you know, there there really is sort of like an uncanny feel to it. Yeah, it's a, that's a fantastic show. I mean, I remember watching it at the time. I was in my early twenties, so it was very much it was my it was it was directed at me. I yeah. felt you know, Log Lady. Right, but you know it's coming Uh, back. I know. Yeah, I can't (laughs) believe it. Cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) So back to Earthbound then. So it is an RPG, but you said it's double dragon-like. Have you explained that? Uh, It's like Dragon Warrior, you know, quite quite rudimentary, um, you know, sort of choosing fight or magic from a menu. And I realize I'm I'm contradicting what I said about, um, you know, focusing uh, on gameplay over story because really the appeal of Earthbound is... Um, not necessarily the story in, in the sense of the plot, but definitely the ambiance and the language. Um, it's just so it's unique. Not, you just want to know, where's this going? Yes. <laughs> Where are you going yeah. with this? So that, I love that when you get drawn in. Like, why do you keep on playing this? Why is it, it feels like you're jabbing a sore tooth. Like, ow, ow. Right. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to keep on going. But yeah. it's, it's dull. No, it's not. You just don't, there's some, there's depth to this. <laughs> yeah, the mood is really something. So I, I've been enjoying that enormously. Cool. Anything else? Uh, I just got Shovel Knight and uh, and oh. started it up, and uh, I'm having is a lot of fun. Is that on the Wii U or PSN or whatever? I, um, I got it on on PC on okay. Steam, um, but it you know it's sort of a love letter to all the games that I love too. So th- these guys, um, I, I feel like I could have a long conversation with them because they clearly love um, you know Ducktales for the NES and Zelda Two. Um, and Mega Man, um, 
you know, all these sort of 8-bit, 8-bit classics. And they, That's, they really, uh, Yacht Club Games, isn't it? Yacht Club Games. Yeah. And they, they really sort of whipped it up into this really fun, um, homage. And the fact that he's got a freaking shovel. What is yeah. the night? <laughs> it's a nice yeah. choice. So what? Why yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, very, it's very clearly, like a lot of love went into it. It's like the bad weapon that you get from Ghosts and Goblins. Like, no, don't pick that up. Oh, no. <laughs> All the weapons are bad in Ghosts and Goblins. As soon as you lose the dagger, you're screwed. <laughs> it's just like, oh, great. Where's it to yeah. stop? There's a game that kicks you in the nuts. Anyway, and it's proud to so. So, remember Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins? No, we made it. We have a modern like PSP, really cool. Why is it so hard? Because it's Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I beat Super Ghouls and Ghosts three nice. years ago. I got that game in 1991. <laughs> My sister and I were like, "This game is insane." Uh, there's no way that. Did anyone... you know the original at the time? We probably didn't. Probably weren't aware. I had never actually played Ghosts and Goblins uh, oh. at the time, which I think is even worse. I think you know I can't believe that I eventually beat Super Ghouls and Ghosts, but I, I'm <laughs> pretty sure I'll never beat Ghosts and Goblins. I don't know anyone who does. Anyone? I just, yeah. Anyone I hear like go? Did you use a trader? No. Yeah. <laughs> are you a weird savant or something are you i just uh, read a funny interview speaking of speaking of game development with the the guy who produced uh ghouls and ghosts okay. uh, the, which was the first sequel to ghosts and goblins and he said he um uh there's a, a japanese guy producer at capcom um said that he brought he would bring his prototypes to arcades and watch players playing them and take notes on how they got through areas and then find a way to kill them if they tried it. So that, you know, he'd be like, oh, I can't let you get away with that that easily. And when you play <laughs> the game, it feels like that. You're like, oh, okay, this is bad, this is bad. Wait, I'll just go through there. And, you know, something sweeps out of nowhere, um, kicks your ass, and that's it. Just That's not design. That's just torture. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I must be a glutton for punishment because I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well... We'll move on to the second half then, where we chat to Peter about Satellite. What is this game? I know what it is. It's brilliant. But uh, what, what is it? Uh, well, it's a sort of a very simple um, action puzzle. I've been calling it a puzzle in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, um, you know, a bunch of particles uh, or, or spheres um, kind of swirling around the screen in different geometric patterns. Each level is a pattern, and, and they come in three colors. Um, the defaults are green, yellow, and red. Um, basically, you're trying to collect all the green particles uh, without touching a yellow or red particle. And when you collect all the green ones, the yellow ones turn green and the red ones turn yellow. So there's sort of a sequential unlocking of each level. And I think when you see each level for the first time, you sort of have to think through, okay, what's the best way to try to get through this? Um, and then you have to actually pull it off. Yes. Um, now, one of the things that uh, I've personally found with the game, I find it, I'm zoning out to it. I forget, I almost missed my train stop when playing this, which is, you know, that means the game's awesome when that happens. Like, oh, I'm That's lost. Great. Oh, God, almost missed my stop. Uh, <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. It might, might do. Um, but I found that it is, I'm very much a reactive player. That yeah. when it comes, to, especially when it comes to tabletop games, I'm very much like, oh, no, I'll just buy the pig. Why? Because it's there. Right. It doesn't help you. 
But right. I want the pig. <laughs> I want the pig. And it's just there's no this seemingly low um, logic to it. So player against me, a strategic player playing against me is infuriating because I'm constantly <laughs> doing random acts of lunacy. Like right, you're like the drunken master. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I mean, I try to think one or two moves ahead, but it never pans out because I forget there's other people around the table. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, like don't that. do that because now I can't. Oh. <laughs> so you know it's it's just it's, it's infuriating but with with satellina i just sit there and go well uh what if i just go charging in that normally works <laughs> but then, and has it been uh, working for you no um oh dear i'll explain where i've got to towards the end of the show but uh it initially it didn't and then i i found various strategies that yeah. I've, I've named, I've called nibbling. <laughs> Nibbling's <laughs> one I do a lot in a couple of them. It's like, uh-huh. I'm just going to have to nibble away at this one because it's, just, it's yeah. just too hostile. I actually use those yeah. words. It's too hostile. I'm going to have to nibble away at this one before right. <laughs> to its core. Uh, there's another one called um, Come to Me, which basically uh-huh. I position myself in such a way that I don't actually move, the things move into me. Yes, I think that's a big, uh, a big part of, that's of a getting massive, it right. Another thing is remote control. Um, I'm not sure where you got this idea from, but just to give the player, the, the listeners an idea of how this game works, because it's very difficult to explain until you play it. And do watch the trailer on YouTube as well. It does explain it extremely well. But your little white icon, your little white circle with a cross in the middle, and uh, you move it by actually moving your finger across the screen. However, your finger does not have to correspond to where the circle is. And so what I call it, and I know you probably have another word for a concept for it, but basically you move your your finger relative to where your, the circle is so you yeah. can actually control it, what I call, remotely. Um, yes. The first well, time- I sort of realized quickly as I, was, as I was developing it that if you had to have your finger on it, um, it would prevent kind of any complex gameplay because you wouldn't be able to see what you were doing. No, you just got fat finger. So yeah. So I call it. Yeah, that, that's finger. probably. Yeah. And sometimes some of the levels require to do fat finger. There's some issues with that. Um, not issues. Yes, it can help. It's just like, oh, you need to be that precise. You need to be. You need to have the movement of your finger relative to the screen much closer. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It depends on where you are and what you're trying to achieve in a particular level. Yeah. But the remote control aspect came. I first encountered that in another game, series of games by Jeff Minter. Mm, yeah, Jeff Minter, but he's he's, he's yes. a British Welsh developer actually, uh, and yeah. uh, he uh, loves llamas and stuff. But his games, his arcade games on iOS especially, have that mechanic. You yes. can just put your screen, put the finger every on the screen, and it just does whatever you want to do. So you don't have to have the fat finger problem because yeah, you know, I, I think that's a big issue. You know, if the, yeah. the your input device and your viewing device are the same, you you got to find a way to work around that. And you've done that. I didn't believe you'd done that. Uh, Great. Yeah. My only complaint sometimes is I run out of screen. Yes, I have that problem too. And Mr. Finger goes, ah! And yeah. Got, got off the edge. I mean, picking your finger up from the screen and putting it down again, you have to do it in a fraction of a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sort of part of, the, part of the strategy is, you know, knowing when you're going to have to do that. When you're going to have to dive in, when you can, it's, you know, I mean, we talked about platformers earlier, but a lot of it, Reminds you of the timing when you're just opening, shutting gates, right? Like, you know, in Prince of Persia and some of that, where you had to it's, go through those gates. And there's a lot of that yeah. happening in some. There's, I think it's G two has that where it sort of opens up. I'm yes, giving away, yes. I, I'm giving I, away I too much, but uh, yeah. there's some that's like, oh god. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I tried to make it so that uh, that it's more intimidating than actually dangerous. Uh, you know, a lot of them they look very scary. Um, but there's actually a way through it. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So my first question about specific about the game really is, it's about accuracy and speed. In my opinion, you might think I'm yeah. simplistic, but that's what I believe it to be. Accuracy and speed. Sure. How did you go about designing each level without, without making them a frustrating, unplayable mess? I mean, how well, many... Sorry, it sounds, you know... Like, oh, God, you could have, could have gone really far south with some of these levels. You don't. You genuinely don't. But Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an iterative process, and I will say that the game got easier with every build because 
so certainly you have that effect where when the developer is the only one who's playing it, um, they get really good at the game, and then somebody else tries it, and it's like this is crazy. This is yeah, um, this is crazy. This is bad. It's like when we had uh, Roll Seven on with um, yeah. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten the game. Um, but it's a skateboarding game. It's this, that that mm-hmm. was you know they were fantastic at it, but no one else could play it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they had exactly. to just basically had to scale it down. Yeah, um, um, and some of you know my friends played the versions of the game of Satellina that were really punishing, um, and I didn't want to make something that was that was punishing just for the sake of being punishing. I, you know, I don't have any interest in in making a game that's out and out sadistic. Um, I just want to make something that has some some bite to it that uh, is challenging enough that it it makes you want to come back to it and and makes it super satisfying when you do pull it off. Um, you know, I think if a game doesn't have any resistance um it sort of feels like like there's there's, it's just like a cloud you know it's like a bunch of uh wet air (laughs) yeah you you know there's nothing you can really sink into um so you know i try to obviously it's a moving target i i often think about um difficulty in games uh being sort of like spice in food that if you're the chef you're like okay well you know i want to make it spicy enough to to be exciting um but i don't want to blow out anybody's taste buds um and every uh customer who orders the hot pot is going to have a different idea of what that is right Uh, so it's a little tricky um you know i i had a lot of friends play it and um and i worked over the levels a bunch of times myself Um, and then each level i tried to not just make a bunch of stuff swirling around randomly, but make it so that there was a thought process. Um, I've I've found every time I've replayed levels, and I've replayed a lot of them, and we explain why later on in the show. There you go, folks. There's a reason why I have to replay the levels. Um, <laughs> I found the technique for each one getting better and better. Yeah. And, uh, and it's and like, was, oh, actually, I could just goal. dive in here, can't I? I don't have to pussyfoot around and just dive in because they're kind <laughs> of converging into the same point or something like that. Yeah, well, that was but that was by design. Uh, you know, I wanted to uh, give you the satisfaction of getting better over time. Yeah, and that does again does actually happen. And um, but before we go more onto the gameplay side, I want to ask about the music because I said uh, uh, I'm knocking around for quite some time playing games and stuff, and some of the tunes remind me of some Amiga tunes. Oh yeah. Um, specifically, I'm not sure which. I don't actually don't want to reveal which one, but I think it might be F. Um, mm-hmm. But it reminded me of Shadow of the Beast. Too. Sure. What, yeah, how did yeah, that come about? How, what was what was your? Well, I think did, the, the music. Yeah. The music is sort of like a, a pastiche of everything that I like in synth pop and and electro music. I mean, I you know I play guitar. I'm mostly uh, I've mostly listened to rock music for most of my life, but I, I do really love, um, a lot of synthesizer stuff. Yeah, me too. I mean, I listen to Orbital a lot. I don't know why. Sure. But I like writing to Orbital. Yeah. It gets me going. Um, not all of their stuff is great, but you know, the vast majority of it is good. Yeah. You know, I think there's a perception of synthesizers as soulless and, and I'm not sure that's accurate. I think, you know, there's, there's no reason that a synthesizer should be considered, uh, innately less soulful than like a piano. It's it's sort of a question of what you do with either one. Um, and I, I think particularly, I really love the early '80s synthesizer sound. Right, um, where there, there's really sort of a, like an analog warmth right. to it. Right. And, uh, yeah, you know, they I mean, actually I love... had valves in them, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. They were extraordinary machines back then. Um, I really love um, early '80s Prince. You know, and you oh, got incredible, right. incredible synthesizer sounds. If you, you listen to the beginning of Little Red Corvette, you know, there's there's such um, thickness and warmth to those synthesizer pads. Um, and then as, as far as video games, uh, you know, obviously I've spent a lot of time with 80s games. And, uh, yeah, I do love that sort of square wave sound. I was actually trying to – so for the, you know, the Great Gatsby game, I made um, very specifically – a NES soundtrack using only the the technical limitations of the NES sound chip. So it's two square waves, a triangle wave, and a noise channel. Um, 
and nothing else. And that's a very particular sound. With this game, I actually wasn't going for chiptune sound so much. No, um, I don't. wanted sort of more of a classic, uh, classic early 80s. Yeah, because the, the, the Amiga had a fantastic sound chip in it. Anyway. Yeah, the SID, right? No, it wasn't the SID. That was the C64. Oh, was that the Commodore? Yeah, the C- that was Commodore 64. The Commodore Amiga, I think it was Paula. I'm going to get shot down in flames for that. Okay. It was one of the custom both. chips, yeah. Um, but it was an amazing... And it just... it just, I mean, go and listen to Shadow of the Beast, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's like... That's a, still ah. an impressive game. Yeah. You know, I, I will say uh, there's one level, uh, I think it's Sweet D, yeah. where there's a, a, a particular nod to the Commodore 64 um, in the, I guess, what you could call the chorus of that tune. Yeah. Um, because I used um, the, sort of a square wave arpeggiator sound, which you yeah. hear in so many of those 80s games. Yeah, that's um, all they had. That's all they could do. You know. Yeah, if you wanted to play a chord and you only had one channel to do it, that's how you did it. <laughs> um, you and did. so that's all over those Commodore games. And Although you, know, you did have some weird wizards who do some weird stuff with that. Like, right. Yeah, it I sound mean, like it was coming from another channel, which didn't exist. Like, right. How do you like do David, that? I mean, David Wise... Uh, uh, and and some of those guys were doing just unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah, especially towards the end of its life. Yeah. So back to the gameplay then. But thanks for the tunes because I just wanted a another thing that drew me into the game so much. I, I'm glad. Yeah, thank you. Don't play this in silence, everyone. You have to have it. <laughs> Very bad idea. You can, but the sound. I mean, there's also in, interactive sound. Is that as you're popping the the little the the, the coloured um, spheres. There's yeah. a tone that goes higher and higher and higher and higher. So the the, the less there are of them, the higher the tone. Great yeah. idea. Thank I thought, you. I first saw that in Fez, I think. Fez does that too. Yes. You get yeah, little tubes right. and it goes ding, 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 ding. Um, yeah, also another game with a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Another one I listen to on a regular basis. But I want to talk about the concept of risk-reward. It seems to be thoroughly embodied within Catalina. Was that always yes. the intention? Yeah, well, I, I think, I, I mean, it, it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier about difficulty, that um, my my personal feeling is if there's no risk, there's no reward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you there have to be stakes in the game design um, right. in order to make it gratifying. And it, it's interesting that you bring this up because um, while I was developing the game, a lot of people said, uh, including my mom, who's not not really a gamer, um, you know, a lot of people said, "Does there have to be a timer? The timer is stressing me out." Um, you know, there's always a timer running in the game. Um, oh, it would be utterly and I really thought about that. Sorry, no offense. Well, that's <laughs> that's what I decided. I, you know, eventually, I decided if there's no tension, there's nothing that holds you in it. Now, I, I know that there's sort of a move in in a lot of mobile games. Um, to be kind of more methodically paced, and I understand that, um, and, I, and I certainly took that seriously. I, you know, again, I don't, um, I don't want to stress people out for the sake of stressing them out. Um, I want to engage people, and I think the timer really helps do that. Absolutely, um, it's it's. I get so much reward from going through a level. Going, you know what? I could shave off ten seconds. I can. Like, ugh, what you don't think? <laughs> Like internal monologue. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Yeah, yeah, you can do 10 seconds off of that. That was a that's mess. That's hope. I, I, you <laughs> know, I want... I think when people finish a level, um, if they think, oh, I could do that better, and then they go back and do it, that's very rewarding, you know. And the game is... Um, it's not that long. There, There's no. 50 levels. Yeah. But uh, my hope was that uh, people would get a lot more gameplay out of it because they'd want to keep going back. And I, and I have seen that with... Uh, with uh, people who have been playing it, that you know they get they do get through all the levels, but then they really want to go back and uh, and try again. I think most games now um, are designed to to give you like thirty hours of gameplay, and then you never want to do it again. Um, whereas I often go back to the games that are you know if you know what you're doing, you can beat them in twenty minutes. But uh, there's just sort of like a addictive reward quality to to seeing how well you can do it. I'm sick of tired of people telling me how to play and what to play. I will play what I find entertaining and to hell with everyone. <laughs> you know, right it's, on. it's just it's tedious. You know, I'm not gonna be entered, be be told 
or shamed into like, oh, you haven't played that, you don't want to talk about. And it's like, yeah. it's like, you know, I had this conversation with someone like, oh, you haven't seen Firefly? What's wrong with you? Like, well, I, am, <laughs> I envy that person. I right. envy that person as in Firefly. Because he's going to now see this amazing TV show and then, yes. then cry and moan about why it was cancelled. <laughs> and then decide that Fox really is evil, what you think? <laughs> you know, well, you know, it leaves you wanting more. That's, exactly. That, I think that's part of the reason people love Firefly so much. Yeah, but anyway, I just want to talk about, we kind of stumbled into the last question. Again, I do think you're leaning over my shoulder reading these questions from my screen. <laughs> or, um, but, uh, so there's no score. Yeah. Is there? There's no score. But there is a time. For yeah. each level, there's a par. So there's two pars, I believe. Mm-hmm. The first par mm-hmm. is two and a half minutes yep. for cre- completing five segments within each yep. set. Yep. Or there's five minutes, which gives you a yep. yellow. Anything over that, you know, come on. You may have finished it, but geez, <laughs> what were you right. doing? Were you right. using your finger or something else? I'm just <laughs> saying. Uh, sorry, this is a family show. But anyway, it's just, it's just, what were you doing? So, um, I mean, there is something that happens at the end when you do all, all the levels within a certain part. I won't reveal what it is, but something funky happens, uh, and it's really cool. Um, so there's there's a there's a teaser for you. Um, but it is really nice. cool what happens. And um, I just want to ask. Um, obviously, you've answered the question. Really, it was. The time wasn't there from the start. Was it taken away? Was it put in? Was it in and out? And then you realize that actually, you know, I need to leave it in. Could you tell me? Uh, you know, I, I think I put it in pretty early on. And, and what that was inspired by, you know, I could have had a gameplay structure where you had a certain number of lives to get through or something like that. Um, but doing that, I think, would have encouraged sort of risk averse gameplay because you, you could have just sort of nibbled away. Um, without really diving into each pattern and figuring out how to um, how to get get really good at it. Um, what inspired that was I, I've watched a lot of speedrunning. You see people um, who are really good at it sort of, um, it, I mean, it is like seeing the Matrix or something. You, you know, they really um, have to look at a game in a different way and sort of break down what makes it tick. And um, so in, in a way, I think Satellina... Um, lets you do that as someone who's not not that obsessed necessarily. It's it's what you have to do to beat the game. You have to figure out what the optimal route is, um, and you know you, there's sort of the fun of being like, ooh, you know, maybe if I went over this way, um, I could get through this bit faster. Yeah, I want to stop doing the nibbling, but sometimes like I just can't. I try to go in there too fast, and then Mr. Finger gets all sweaty and no. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Oh, don't yeah. play this game yeah. with slightly long nails. Very bad. That's very bad <laughs> no, too. I need that. Yeah, it's like you've got to be careful. Otherwise, you're like, oh god, no more. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, amount of times I go. I oh, know. Another time was like, I can do this level in 20 seconds. Why is it taking me a minute? You know, right. like, what's wrong with me? You know, and then you get frustrated <laughs> and you do it over and over again. You get more frustrated and like. Take a breath. Yeah, you got to take a got to take a breather there. Don't throw the phone out the window. Yeah, I don't get that far. So I'm actually just because yes. the other magic of this game is that it's always your fault. It's not right. the game's well, that, fault. Yeah, it's not the game's fault. You have fault. to. Um, yeah, you have fault. to really have that trust. Yeah, with the, with the player, and I think you know. I mean, when I was thinking about how to how to sell this game, um, a lot of the most profitable games have free to play mechanics where you buy stuff. Uh, you know, you don't pay play for the you don't pay for the game itself, but you buy stuff that helps you in the game. And I'm not necessarily against that on principle, but I you know as I thought about it in this game, I was like, if I did that, it would undermine to people the integrity of the design because they would think that I had just made it hard to squeeze money out of them, and that's not the case. You know, I made it hard because I wanted to be fun. Yeah. Um, so there has to be that trust that yes, you know, I made it hard, but I also made it doable. Yeah, it is doable. Even yeah. I, old as I am, can actually. Well, I've actually done all fifty levels. Yay! Good, good. man. All right. And uh, uh, and then, like I said, something happens then. I won't say what, but it is very cool. And um, 
it's uh i would highly highly recommend you get this game it's available on ios so satellina so s-a-t-e-l-l-i-n-a and uh it's on android as well imminently is that right yes that is correct and it's for tablets and phones yep should should be good for both yeah and i've only ever played on my phone uh i have a 5s so it hasn't thought one of those big s6 screens yeah. Um, I will eventually get a six, I think, but right now I kind of like the five. So yeah, I, I've heard people it. saying that. Yeah, I just prefer the five. I don't. If I wanted a large screen, I would have got an Android earlier. But you know, I did right. have an Android before my phone, but I defected oh, uh, yeah. because I got frustrated with the fact that is that an Android? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't happen these days, but it did when I owned an Android. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the many good qualities of Unity is that uh, for the, from the developer side, you don't have to think about that anymore. You know, you can you can release to iOS and Android and Nintendo, Wii U, and uh, PC, Mac. I mean, all this stuff at once, which it is it's, a, it's an amazing contrast from what you were saying about uh, sort of the '80s landscape where <laughs> there's like ten platforms <laughs> out and none of them have anything to do with each other. No, <laughs> none of them did. I mean, they were so yeah. separate. They didn't even yeah. look like each other. It was just completely yeah. different. Yeah. You know, one one had like two two colors only because it had color clash. The spectrum right. had was terrible for that. C sixty four looked great, but it was like kind of dull because there was only sixteen colors. And the right. Amstrad looked fantastic because it had yeah. like loads of twenty eight colors and stuff. Like what the hell? But it ran like <laughs> a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of character uh, is the upside of that, but uh, yeah. but pretty yeah. frustrating if you're trying to trying to sell something. Are you planning to put it on anything else? I mean, you could put it on a Vita. You could easily put it on a 3DS and stuff. It worked extremely well on a 3DS with a stylus. Well, yeah, I, I have thought of that actually. Um, a little too well, actually, it might work. You know, anything with a touchscreen, I think, uh, I think it could work. So uh, I was I'm worried that with the with the 3DS, the stylus might be a little bit too accurate. It's possible. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, this is easy. It's, it's tedious. Damn. Yeah, well, there, there are ways around that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Pete, it's been fantastic you having, having you on. Well, uh, thank you so much you, for having me, Chris. I wish you the very best of luck uh, in the future sales of this game and whatever future endeavors you, you get involved with. Uh, and uh, do, do keep on doing what you do. It's a fantastic game. Uh, people should play this, uh, especially when they're holed up in their homes surrounded by white snow. <laughs> yes, that's the hope. <laughs> uh, I do know some people who are actually snowed in, uh, but not yourself. But uh, okay. Well, thanks so much, Peter. Yeah, yes. thank you so much, Chris. Cheers. Have a great one. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye